Amen. John chapter 16 tonight. John chapter 16. Here's what I'd like you to do tonight. As you approach this passage of Scripture, I want you to get a mental picture in your mind about the surroundings of what's happening as Jesus is sharing these words. Remember, these chapters we're looking at here was Jesus preparing His disciples for His going away back to heaven. And so we were, we've been talking about how Jesus will always be preparing us for what he knows is ahead. So what is Jesus doing in our lives right now that is a preparation for what is down the road? That's so important. God always does that in our lives. He's so good that way. So here's what I want you to picture. They have left the upper room in Jerusalem. Judas has went out to betray Jesus. And now Jesus and the 11 disciples who are left have walked down those steps from the upper room. They're walking through Jerusalem and as they come to the edge of the city, they're literally going to go down into the valley and back up towards the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives where Jesus will begin to pray and where he will be arrested in just a few hours. So I want you to picture this passage tonight that we're looking at as simply Jesus talking to his disciples as they're walking down into that valley and then back up the hill towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And I I want you to picture it as a leisurely walk. And just like sometimes... If you're out for a walk, there's going to be certain things that might catch your attention more than others, and you might stop and and take a little bit of a closer look at something. I, I obviously always want you to feel the freedom to do that, but especially tonight, as you and I are walking through this passage tonight, there may be a piece of it that God wants you to sort of stop and look at a little bit closer as you and I walk with Jesus through this passage and literally try to put yourself right into the passage historically and and in your mind's eye, picture yourself walking with Jesus and his 11 disciples as he goes down into the Kidron Valley and back up that hill towards the Garden of Gethsemane as he says these words. I have told you all these things so that you will not fall away. John 16, 1. Notice that Jesus once again is reminding his disciples that he is a straight shooter, that he doesn't sugarcoat things, that that it's going to get bad. It's going to get really bad. And he is not wanting his followers to be under any kind of disillusionment as to what lies ahead. What he is trying to do is prepare them and strengthen them to be able to face the difficult challenges that are coming. Jesus is trying to do the same thing today. Very few times in life will he want us to escape from what's out there. 
because He knows that that doesn't bring any greater faith to our lives. That doesn't strengthen us in any way. The best thing for us is to learn to go through what life brings, no matter how difficult it is, with God. And, and to see the depth and the resources and the strength and the grace that you and I can have. And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples. It's going to be very difficult. And so I've told you these things ahead of time so that you will not fall away. These words fall away is where we get our word apostasy from. It's the idea of literally to stand away from. Jesus saying, I'm trying to prepare you so that you will not stand away from me in a permanent way. Causing others sort of a hindrance, an obstacle to come to me. Now obviously we know short term, they all stood away from Jesus. Peter denied him and the only one that was at the cross was John. The rest of them took off. So Jesus here isn't talking short term. He's looking past their short term and he's looking long term to the time when he would go back to the Father in the ascension and where he would leave them to begin to spread the gospel. And he's saying to them, I'm telling you these things now so that you won't come to a point where you will continue to stand away from me. To, in a sense, be ashamed and, and to not have the strength to, to say, I'm willing to identify myself with Jesus Christ no matter what it costs me. That I'm willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And when one does stand away from Jesus, it can again cause a hindrance, an obstacle for others. It can even cause an unfavorable opinion about Jesus when that happens. And so that's why Jesus here is very strongly saying that. In fact, if you read the Gospels, you will see many times where Jesus is saying that he knows that there's coming a day where because of persecution and suffering that his disciples will go through, meaning not disciples as in the 12, but a greater number, that they will fall away. That they will stop following him because it starts to, it, it starts to hurt too much. It, that they, they have to suffer too much. They have to go through too much pain. And so again here, especially as we know when Jesus is saying this, as he's going down into that valley and back up towards the Garden of Gethsemane, and what he's about to face, it makes his words even more powerful. And then he says, specifically, here's what they will do to you. They will put you out of the synagogue. You will be excommunicated. You will be excluded Sometimes in our lives, because of Jesus, we are excluded from certain things. He says, yet a time is coming when the one who kills you. Now he's predicting and telling these disciples, by the way, because you will not permanently stand away from me, and you will come back and you will be used to spread the gospel, every one of you will be murdered and martyred for me. And history tells us that to be true. We don't know exactly how each of them died, but we know that all 11 did give their lives for Christ and for the gospel. And yet he says, there's coming a time when the one who kills you will think he is offering service to God. The words offering service literally means worship. 
Think about it. The ones who are killing you thinks that they are worshiping God. There has been much down through history that has been done in the name of God. That God has nothing to do with. And Jesus saying the people who are going to kill you think that they're doing the right thing. Just like the people who are getting ready to say, we want Barabbas and crucify him, crucify him and nail me to that cross. Think that they're worshiping God. They will do these things, verse 3, but here's the key, because they have not known the Father for me. See the difference between thinking I'm doing something for God and I'm worshiping God, but I'm doing just the opposite is knowledge of God. And this word know is a very important word in the New Testament. It means to become thoroughly acquainted with. But it's a knowledge that is not an intellectual knowledge, it's an experiential or relational knowledge. In other words, like with us, it's a knowledge that comes through relationship. The more time that you and I spend, say, with someone in our lives, the more we get to know them. And it's not a head thing, it's just because we spend time together. We begin to know each other's likes and dislikes and, and what makes us tick and all of that. That's the kind of knowledge Jesus taught. That's why intellectual knowledge alone never cuts it with God. We have to enter into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ and begin to walk with Him and experience an experiential relational knowledge that brings us greater understanding and knowledge of God. In fact, it's very interesting here that this word, know here, that the Jews used this word as an idiom for sexual intercourse. That's the kind of knowledge he's talking about here. It is an intimate, in-depth knowledge, a closeness that comes through relationship. And Jesus is saying, they will kill you just like they are going to kill me because they did not know the Father or me. They never took time to have a relationship with me and get to know me. We all know. That the religious leaders of Israel who tried Jesus and put him on the cross had a great understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. They could quote the Old Testament scriptures. They knew them like the back of their hand, but they did not know God. And there's a big difference. A big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And that's what Jesus here is talking about. That's what we need to get people to see today. That our knowledge of God is going to be gained through us walking with Him, talking with Him, communing with Him, fellowshipping with Him. That's what this has all been about. And so Jesus again says in verse 4, I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember that I told you about them. And their time is their time of apparent victory. Their time whenever it seems like everything is going their way and it seems like God is being defeated. In fact, he's saying this because in just a few hours, it's going to seem like their time too. When Jesus, the Son of God, is hanging on the cross and it looks like the devil and evil and all of that has won. 
And Jesus says, you've got to understand when it looks like everything is going against you, you must remember what I said and hold on to it. Because there's going to be times in our life, seasons in our life, where everything seems like it's going against us. And where is God? And does God care? And does He see what I'm going through? And all of these things flood our minds. And Jesus is saying to His disciples, I'm telling you these things so that you will not stand away from Me. So that you will stand with Me and by Me and continue to be in me, even when things are really, really hard, because we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus said, I did not tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. I didn't need to prepare you for my going away quite so early. But now these three years of earthly ministry and my time with you is almost over. And now I'm preparing you because I'm not going to be here with you much longer. Now I am going to the one who sent me. And not one of you is continuing to ask me where you're going. I mean, earlier on, Thomas asked him, uh, Peter asked him, but now they've come to a point, Jesus says, where none of you are asking me about where I'm going. And here's why. Because now their focus is all on them. How this is affecting them. (laughs) I'm so that way many times in my life. Jesus wants me to keep my eyes on Him. Just like He encouraged Peter to do when he was walking on the water. And we, we do so much better in our lives when we keep our eyes on Jesus. But it's so hard sometimes to keep our eyes there and not to get our eyes focused on us and how it's affecting us. But that's exactly what the disciples were doing. When He says to them, Instead, verse 6, your hearts are filled with sadness because I've said these things to you. The word sadness there, sorrow, pain, grief, but also, very interestingly, also annoyance. Jesus saying, not only are you pained by what I'm telling you, but it's like you're annoyed because I'm going away. And again, Jesus is trying to build trust into his disciples. He's preparing, and he's going to tell them in just a moment, all this God is orchestrating for your benefit, for your good. Just trust me. Trust me. If we're all honest, there have been times in our life where God has done or not done something, and it's annoyed us. And that's exactly where the disciples are. And again, remember, they're just casually walking down that valley, into that valley, and up that hill towards the Garden of Gethsemane, listening to what Jesus is saying. He said, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I'm going away. To our advantage? Let me first... Talk about this great Greek word. The word advantage in the Greek New Testament is the Greek word sumphero. It's where we get our word symphony from. It literally means to bring things together, to harmonize things. Now listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, guys, I get the fact that you don't see how all these pieces of the puzzle are fitting together. 
Just like in our lives, many times we go through things and we don't understand. God, why am I or someone else going through this or dealing with this or whatever? And Jesus is trying to tell us, it is to your advantage. Because you don't see all the other pieces of the puzzle and all the other things that I'm doing that's connected with this. And I'm like this great conductor of the universe. And I'm like this great conductor of your life. And I am bringing this into a symphony. And I'm going to take this piece and that piece. And you don't because you're not God. You don't see how this all fits together. And you don't see how this is all going to come out and turn out. And you don't see how this is all going to fit together. But I, the great conductor of your life, am asking you to turn your life over to me, your Lord, and to let me conduct this and let me bring things together. Because the word advantage also means to be helpful or profitable. And Jesus is saying, it is to your advantage that I'm going with. It's actually going to be more beneficial and profitable for you if I go. Now, just like the disciples, if we would have been there, he said, there's no way that can be true. We have physically walked with you. How could it be better for you not to be here? Many times today, Christians are like, oh, I wish I could go back and could have walked with Jesus when he was on earth. And don't get me wrong. That would have been the thrill of a lifetime to walk with Jesus. One day we will. That would have been a thrill. I'm not, but, but Jesus trying to get them and us to see that it was actually to all of our advantage that he goes away. Think about that though for a moment. It is to their advantage that he's getting ready to get arrested in the garden. It is to their advantage that he's going to get beat up. It's to their advantage that he's going to get his beard pulled out. It's going to be to their advantage that they put a robe and a crown of thorns on his head. It's to their advantage that he gets scourged. It's to their advantage that he gets nailed to a cross. It's to their advantage that he's hanging there with thieves. It's to their advantage that he's thrown into a cold grave. Yeah. It's to their advantage. It's sort of just the opposite. Today, when we have someone close to us or that we love who's suffering maybe with cancer and they're near death, we usually say things like, God, just take them. Because it would be to their advantage, not ours, but to their advantage that they would just go and be released from their suffering. But Jesus here, notice, is saying just the opposite. He's saying, I'm going to go through all this, but it's not for my advantage. It's to your advantage that I go and go through all of this. And the reason I wanted to emphasize this tonight is because all of us need to be reminded that there's many times in our life. (laughs) We don't see all the pieces of the puzzle. As I remind myself of my life and everybody else's life is like this iceberg and we only see the tip of it. And God is the only one that has insight into everything underneath and how this affects that and how all of this comes together. And that's why he's saying, you've got to let me be the great conductor of your life and bring all these things that you don't have a clue about how this affects that. Cause I'm the only one that knows cause I'm God. I see everything. I see the beginning and the end. Let me conduct this in bring this together, especially in those times when you are seeing just the opposite. There's no way this could be to my advantage. There's no way this could profit me. There's no way this could benefit me. And Jesus saying, trust me. I will show you how this will benefit you. Trust me. 
So Jesus says, for if I do not go away, the advocate, again, Greek, parakletos, the one called alongside to help, support, and strengthen, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, yes, Jesus was able to physically be with the disciples while he was here on earth. But Jesus saying, but I can do you one better when I go. If I send the Holy Spirit, who's equal to me, he will not only be with you, Jesus said, he will be in you. I could never be in you. I could be with you. But there were times physically where we still weren't always together. Now, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is literally indwelling believers because of the Holy Spirit's ministry of being in us. By the way, notice that Jesus says here something very important. When I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit does not minister in a vacuum. The Holy Spirit ministers through the church, the body of Christ, you and I. Each of us, individually and corporately, we are the body or bodies that the Holy Spirit ministers through. Just like evil spirits seek out bodies to manifest themselves through. The Holy Spirit does the same thing, except His body is the church, the body of Christ. And when He comes... Verse 6, he will prove the world wrong concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus is saying to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's got a mission to the world. Those who don't know Christ yet. One, the word prove means to convict or convince. The Holy Spirit has to convict or convince people that they are sinners that they have missed the mark, that they are in need of a Savior. Many people never come to Christ as their Savior because they don't think they need one. They're a pretty good person. And so the Holy Spirit, His mission is to try to get them to see how sinful we all are compared to God's righteousness, which leads to His next mission. To show them righteousness, meaning not the self-righteousness that they try to come to God with. That can't cut it. So the Holy Spirit tries to convince them and prove to them and show them there's no way any of our own righteousness can ever measure up to what we need to have a relationship with God. It is only when we are clothed in the righteousness that God provides through Christ that we have a standing and relationship with God. And then the Holy Spirit's mission is to prove and convince the world about judgment to come. Many people down through history make a joke about it. They joke about hell. Yeah, when we get there, we're going to have a big party. And the Holy Spirit's ministry and mission is to try to convince people that judgment is coming one day if Christ is not your Savior. And so Jesus goes on to say, concerning sin, 
verse 9, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been, past tense, condemned. He's saying if there's any there's any question that God is going to judge one day, he's saying that the prince of this world, Satan himself, the leader of humanity, alienated from God, has already been judged. He's already been condemned. And so all who follow him are going to suffer the same fate. The case has been examined and judgment passed on Satan. Then notice verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Here's another really important principle I want us all to be reminded of tonight, and that is this. God reveals progressively. I don't want to say never, but almost never, God will just show us everything at once. No. First of all, a lot of times it would scare us to death if God showed us everything at once. It would freak us out. And God understands that. Just like with here. That you can't, you can't bear it. There's no way you can pick it up and carry all of this with you. I just want you to pick out a few things to be able to sustain you now. Piece by piece, God will progressively reveal things to us. So, the reason I, I want to emphasize that tonight is wherever you are right now, just focus on that next step. What is it God wants you to do now? Don't, don't worry. Don't be concerned. Don't be focused about five steps down the road. Because that's not how God works most of the time in our lives. Because we can't take it all in. We can't bear it all at the same time. So he gives it to us piecemeal. He gives it to us progressively. That's even true in the study of God's Word. That's why I attempt to, to start studying for things months ahead of time because God could not show me all that He shows me to share with you in a week's time or two weeks' time or whatever. The more time you and I spend the more time the Holy Spirit has to progressively, piece by piece, show us things. That's why you and I can even read or study a passage once and come back to it even in a week and we'll see something else. Because that's the way the Spirit works. God reveals progressively. So don't be discouraged that God never tells you the whole story or the whole picture up front. That's never the way God works. He will tell it to us piece by piece and He simply wants us to follow step by step. But Jesus does go on to say when He, that's very important. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. He is equal with God the Son and God the Father. He can be quenched. He can be grieved. He can be lied to. He is a person. When He, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. The word guide means to lead, to teach. To give guidance. How cool. Jesus says, look, when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to lead you, guide you, give you guidance into the truth. 
It's to your advantage that I go away. He'll not only be with you, He'll be in you 24-7. You and I never have to worry about being leaderless. Of not like having anyone in our life to guide us. As a Christian, we always have the Holy Spirit who Jesus promises us will guide us and lead us. Notice this. He will not speak on his own authority. In other words, he won't speak just by himself. He speaks in concert with me and with the Father. He speaks whatever he hears and will tell you what is to come. In these last couple of verses we're going to look at tonight, Jesus is simply emphasizing again the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all work in concert together for the advantage of the believer. All of them, always, are doing everything they can for our advantage. Verse 14. Here's a key. He will glorify me. Don't miss that the Holy Spirit's ministry is not to exalt the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to exalt Jesus Christ. That's why we have to be very, very careful when we are hearing teaching that is exalting the Holy Spirit. That is incongruous with what the Bible says his ministry is all about. His ministry is not to exalt himself, to draw attention to himself. He is to draw attention to Christ. He is to reveal Christ. That's what his ministry is. And he's okay with that. You know, the Holy Spirit is like the ultimate behind-the-scenes servant. You know, we have a great example of humility and service in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, who took upon Himself human flesh. But we also have a great example of, in a sense, humble service in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's never about Him. He's always about Jesus. If you are exalting Jesus, then that's being led by the Holy Spirit. If we are magnifying Jesus... If we are elevating Jesus, if we are honoring Jesus, we are in concert with the Holy Spirit. That's his ministry, to glorify Jesus. Because Jesus goes on to say, he will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. Amazing. You see the communication, if you will, between the Godhead. And yet they're all working together. And that's why, too, the Holy Spirit will never guide us into something that is contradictory to what Jesus has said or what the Bible says. Can't be. Because they're all working together here. What the Father says, the Son hears, and, and the Son and the Father relay it to the Spirit, and the Spirit then guides and leads. And it's all consistent. God never contradicts Himself. That's why we can never say as a Christian that the Holy Spirit's leading us to do something that is clearly contradictory to the Bible. And yet I've heard Christians say that throughout my whole ministry. You wouldn't believe some of the things I hear. But the Holy Spirit's leading me to do this. 
And then you take them to a verse, a chapter, a passage that clearly the Bible teaches that that's not biblical. Doesn't matter. It's what the Holy Spirit's leading. They thought they were worshiping God. But they made the mistake because they did not know Him. They had a knowledge, but not a relational knowledge. Everything that the Father has is mine, verse 15. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. Wow. What tremendous preparation Jesus is giving to his followers. And he's not just giving this to these followers. These same things, these same principles are true today. Jesus, in a sense, is saying to all of us in this room tonight, the things that I'm teaching you through the Holy Spirit, the things that I'm telling you, I'm telling you now so that you will be prepared for what's coming. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what the future holds. But we don't need to. If we're trusting in Jesus, then, then we know that whatever God is bringing about in our lives is going to prepare us for what He knows is down the road. And even what I'm going through now, I have to trust that it is to my advantage what God is orchestrating and bring together in my life. Many times I won't see it. Just like the disciples won't see it. How could it be to our advantage that you go away? How could it be to our advantage that this happens in my life or this didn't happen in my life? But God is saying, trust me. Because you haven't seen how I'm going to bring this all together yet. All you're seeing, Jeff, is that little piece right over here. You're not seeing the big picture. My goodness, one of these days, I want to take some time to, to begin because if we don't at this stage of our church's history, we're going to lose it. Because Lisa and I and others aren't going to remember all the details. But every time I think about even how God has guided this church in the first two years, it's hard not to get emotional about it. Because it's just like, take this step, okay? And when we did, there was the other piece of the puzzle that we had no clue. I mean, if you guys just heard the story about how Nicole became our worship director, how Crystal became our children's director, how other people came... Only God could orchestrate that and conduct that. And that's what's so cool about seeing this church growing. And I don't mean just numerically, although we are going through a growth season right now numerically, but how we're growing spiritually and just how God is bringing and drawing different people together. I ran into a girl on Sunday who I didn't recognize her, but sometimes that doesn't always matter. Sometimes, even with a church our size, I just can't keep up with who's there. But I didn't think I'd ever seen her before. So 
I could tell that she wasn't going to come to the potluck. And I just wanted to make sure that I had touched base with her as she was leaving with her two children. And I introduced myself right out there in, in front of the auditorium. And, and uh, she said, yeah, she said, this is my first Sunday. And she said, you know what's really cool? She said, when I came here, she said, I realized that my neighbors come to this church and I didn't even know where they went. And I'm like, how does, you know, how does, only God can do that kind of stuff. And then when you hear stories like from some of you and some of these new people of how they even came to the church, they were Googling around on the web and Oasis pops up. And so they listened to a podcast and it's just crazy. Folks, I'm saying all that to say most of the time we just don't have the capacity to be able to see how God brings all of this even into our lives together to our advantage. And that's why he calls upon us. It is a necessity to trust him because we can't take it all in. In fact, he says, I couldn't tell you how all this is going to turn out. It would overwhelm you. It it would just blow you away. So I'm just going to give it to you one piece at a time. So just follow me one day at a time and focus on what I want you to do today. And as Jesus said in Matthew, tomorrow then we'll have things to care for tomorrow, let's just focus on the here and now. What a great message to his disciples. Even though he, tomorrow, was going to be hanging on a cross, we know that Jesus' heart and mind wasn't on himself and on his death on the cross tomorrow. It was on loving and preparing his disciples for what was to come, not just tomorrow, but in the weeks and months ahead when they would be excommunicated from the synagogues, excluded from their families and friends. All of that. Jesus was just focusing on the now. In closing, and please hear me, I have a long way to go with this myself. But after 50 years... One of the things that God is trying to get me to do a better job of is live in the moment. Just like Sunday. Instead of running and rushing through Sunday to take in what's happening, because it goes by so quickly. Our second anniversary. Wow. Really? Two years? In some ways, like some of us talk about, it seems like we've been doing this a lot longer than two years, because... There's a comfortableness in a good way about all of us doing this together. We all seem like we have fit for a long time, but in other ways, like two years. And like tonight. I don't want to lose tonight because there will never be another Tuesday night just like this, with this exact combination of people going through whatever we're going through, listening to this exact message, singing these songs and all of it. It'll never be like this. And so it's like God saying, slow down. You're on a walk with me. You're not on a run. Let's stop. And let's focus on the moment. 
before the moments of our life pass by and we look back and go, what? What did I really grab out of that moment? Jesus wanted his disciples to grab and seize this moment as they walked down that valley and up that hill towards the garden. What does Jesus want you and I to focus on tonight? Let's pray. God, I thank you for all that you do for us. My goodness, it is, it is absolutely mind-boggling to think of the ministry, the personal ministry that you have in each of our lives. Especially when sometimes as Christians, we don't even think you care. We don't even think you get it or that you have any idea what's going on. And yet when we, we come to a passage like this, we are reminded that, my goodness, you are in the details to an unbelievable degree that we don't even grasp how detailed you are in our lives. How you are orchestrating and, and wanting to conduct our lives and bring things together for our benefit, for our profit. It might not make sense. In fact, many times it is sort of counterintuitive that, that what you are asking us to do or go through seems to make no sense or seems to be just the opposite. Like, how could this be good for me or for anybody? But we're only making that judgment based on a small amount of information that only we can see. That's why we need God. That's why we need to be connected to the God that sees all and knows all and sees how everything interrelates and connects with everything else. Even in this room, some of the people in this room and who are now part of the Oasis are here because of the connection that they had with somebody else. And on and on and on it goes. So God, help us tonight to trust you. Help us to know tonight that everything you're doing in our lives, you're doing for our benefit. It is to our advantage that we trust you and let you conduct our life. Thank you, God, for what you have done here in this church for two years. And thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, we're excited. We love you. And we can't wait to come back again on Sunday and just celebrate once again, your resurrection. We, we have a risen Lord, alive and very active. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you folks for being here tonight. See you on Sunday.